It is always a pleasure and honor to see you, Your Royal Highness, and on behalf of the Center for Strategic Philanthropy at the University of Cambridge, thank you for taking the time to speak with me about the evolving role of philanthropy and related opportunities and risks on the horizon. Aside from formal duties in support of Her Majesty the Queen and on behalf of Her Majesty's government, His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales, a graduate of Cambridge himself, continues to be a tireless philanthropic entrepreneur and pioneer, championing an incredible array of social and environmental causes over the past half century. Working in collaboration with stakeholders from across the public, private and non-profit sectors, His Royal Highness has been a powerful thought and action leader on a range of global issues, supporting hundreds of charities and launching numerous initiatives to transform lives and build sustainable communities within the United Kingdom and around the world. Well, I must enormously grateful to you, Bernard, for inviting me to uh, reflect on this very important topic, particularly at this uh, critical moment when people across the world are striving to recover from the devastating impacts of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, it certainly seems to me that philanthropy can and indeed must uh, play a critical role in addressing some of the greatest challenges facing humanity. And um, I'm sure that your Centre for Strategic Philanthropy is set to make uh, a, a really important contribution in, in their resolution. Your Royal Highness, you gave your first rather prescient major speech about the importance of environmental sustainability more than 50 years ago. Fortunately, there is much greater awareness of environmental risks today, but of course, awareness doesn't always translate into tangible action. As we welcome 2021 and enter this decade of delivery for the world's sustainable development goals, what gives you, sir, the most hope that we can reverse the damage done to our natural ecosystems? And what can we do as individuals and institutions to make a meaningful, positive difference in the years to come? Well, it is my, my heartfelt belief that the only possible solution to the challenges facing our people and our planet uh, lies in working in harmony with, with nature's economy rather than against it, which is what we've been doing. And this is why I recently launched uh, the Terra Carta as part of my Sustainable Markets Initiative, which will show how, through uh, practical action, it, it is possible to bring economic value into harmony with social and environmental sustainability. After all, we must remember that we are an integral part of nature, and by taking care of nature, we actually take care of ourselves. And I think it, it, it gives me um, greater hope nowadays that we are seeing increasing pressure coming from citizens, uh, consumers, and shareholders who, who are wanting to understand the social and environmental impact of the products and, and services they buy. The younger generation also, I think, 
intuitively understand the challenges we face and uh, actively support a more inclusive, equitable and sustainable world. Of course, your charitable and philanthropic work, sir, spans a host of global issues. Are there some key principles that unite all of these initiatives? And what are the core principles and values that underpin your approach to philanthropy in general? Well, I suppose the central value guiding my philanthropy, and indeed much of my life, I suppose, is reintegration and harmony. Too often the, the modern world fragments, divides, and disassembles the world around us, thus destroying the essential unity of things as, as found in nature. So I've always sought uh, to reconcile, to reintegrate, and to heal these divisions in order to restore a sense of what is sacred in terms of man working in harmony with nature in all our activities. And, and, and this um, fragmentation is particularly true, I think, in, in, in philanthropy and international development, where uh, the fashion has been to specialise in, in particular sectors and, uh, and try to develop them in isolation. But the problem is that all aspects of life are mutually in interdependent. Uh, human well-being depends on doing things in an holistic way. And when they are done holistically, they reinforce and multiply each other. So I, I suppose I've sought to bring activities which others tend to approach in isolation together into an organic whole. And if I were looking for a phrase, it um, would probably be integrated heritage-led regeneration. And what I mean by, by it is that culture and heritage are, are, are not a peripheral luxury. They are absolutely central to life. And uh, they can, in fact, be the driving force behind doing so much that we care about, from, uh, from education and health to our built and natural environment to infrastructure. And, of course, most important, to beauty and a sense of pride and connection to our local identity and community. In addition, I, I would say there are three further principles and values that underpin my particular approach. First of all, uh, making an impact. It is absolutely critical that philanthropy has a direct impact on the ground with the target audiences and can ultimately be measured and quoted. For example, in the last 14 years, I've, I've raised something in the region of 70 million pounds in order to uh, demonstrate heritage-led regeneration in action in one of the most deprived and disadvantaged areas of Southwest Scotland. I managed uh, just to rescue a unique and unspoiled 18th century house in the area called Dumfries House. Specifically, I felt in order to use the housing estate as a means of, of helping to regenerate the local community and provide skills, training and, and real opportunity. Uh, 
As a result, uh, we have radically improved skills, employment, health outcomes, and economic indicators in the area. Uh, secondly, setting an example is another principle. Social and environmental challenges are, of course, highly complex. So the more philanthropists can themselves demonstrate and encourage others to support a systemic approach, the, the greater the impact. For instance, um, if we look at the desperately urgent need to restore and regenerate our natural capital in the ocean, in other words, uh, marine ecosystems and fish stocks, the creation of no-take marine protected areas restores biodiversity, uh, increases the fishing yields around them through the spillover of fish, um, creates employment and household income, and uh, by stopping bottom trawling of all the most debt and cheap practices, substantially reduces carbon emissions. And um, interestingly, most of the largest no-take areas in the ocean were established in great part by the efforts of non-profit conservation groups that received a, a generous philanthropic funding. Uh, such an approach, of course, also provides the opportunity to deploy microfinance and microinsurance and uh, to train young people in the variety of professions. And if I may say so, where, where really enlightened philanthropists lead, the public sector will often sit up and follow with match funding and, and the scaling up of impact. And then um, thirdly, uh, and in the same vein, uh, the importance of identifying and addressing challenges. Because I think it is important to recognise that there are visible and less visible drivers of the problems. It is, of course, easy to focus on the visible causes. However, it is often the causes that are below the radar that can, in fact, have the most meaningful impact. Uh, for example, here in the United Kingdom, I became more and more concerned about the growing um, black hole in engineering schools, especially with the older generation of engineers retiring, and then managed to bring together some of the big engineering companies with the teachers in order to try and address the huge gap um, in the education sector with respect to teaching engineering and to encourage pathways into industry. And this eventually led to the creation of my foundation's uh, STEM strategy, which helps to bridge this particular gap. Early in 2020, you launched the groundbreaking Sustainable Markets Initiative at the World Economic Forum's annual meeting in Davos to lead and accelerate the global transition to a sustainable future working with the private sector. Can you share with us, sir, your motivations behind this major initiative and what constitutes success as you build a global coalition to achieve its objectives? Well, in 2015, with the um, creation of the Sustainable Development Goals and the Paris Climate Agreement, the world came together to agree uh, on a common direction. However, as we've seen, uh, 
since uh, consensus and intention, goals and targets, are only the first steps. To, to, to succeed, there must be an extraordinary practical effort to mobilize the required financial resources, um, the technical ingenuity and institutional innovation that's needed. And it is this which will determine whether or not our children and grandchildren look back on a series of broken promises or instead reflects on a tipping point at uh, which the world shifted to a, a more sustainable, equitable and prosperous path. So, having spent many years attempting to work with the private sector to raise awareness of the need for sustainability and, and long believing that the private sector actually holds the solution to the immense challenges we face, I launched uh, my Sustainable Markets Initiative to try and accelerate the private sector's involvement in, in making progress towards a sustainable future. And over the past year, since we started, I suppose, uh, in January last year, I've been working to convene, uh, or try to convene, global leaders from across industries and, and almost every sector of the economy, and then challenge them to identify practical ways to set our planet on a fundamentally more sustainable trajectory. Uh, and through these uh, consultations, I'm encouraging the private sector to provide practical leadership as only it can mobilize the innovation, the scale and resources that are required to transform our global economy uh, much more rapidly. Your Royal Highness, many of the charitable projects you spearhead are highly entrepreneurial in nature, perhaps by design. The Centre for Strategic Philanthropy itself is based at the Cambridge Judge Business School and one of the projects that is being considered is the creation of a philanthropy accelerator that could identify promising philanthropic initiatives across emerging markets and use elements of entrepreneurship to help them scale impact. To what extent do you feel that we can apply entrepreneurial principles to the practice of philanthropy? And how do you go about incorporating entrepreneurial thinking into your own charitable endeavors? Philanthropic, um, social and environmental innovation and entrepreneurship uh, have a critical role to play, but they must also focus on being transformative, I think. The, the integrated nature of societies and the environment means that we need an interdisciplinary and often what you might call out-of-the-box approach to the development of solutions. And, and after 10 years of working to try and assist the early pioneers, I, I am much encouraged to see that there is now a growing movement around the area of social finance through innovative financial instruments like social and development impact bonds, especially in emerging markets. Incidentally, an organization I founded some years ago, the British Asian Trust, has, for instance, been working with these types of, of, of instruments and has deployed a bond for education in India 
to help children obtain better literacy and numeracy outcomes, which would be very encouraging. And of course, I suppose to some extent, all good philanthropy is entrepreneurial, uh, as it is able to operate outside the constraints of, of, of normal funding. Uh, it can choose unconventional partners and be unconstrained by the need to make an immediate commercial return. And, and, and this is, of course, crucial as so many of the innovative solutions, being by definition new, have uh, risk profiles and terms that are too high and too long for traditional funders. So philanthropic finance plays a really vital role here in, in, in helping to bridge the so-called valley of death for, of, of early stage concepts. And by uh, intervening at this vulnerable moment of, of, of innovation, philanthropy can lower risk, uh, can reduce the, the cost of capital and substantially leverage investment. Indeed, it is, and I, and I have to say, should seek to be, I think, the glue that binds blended finance together. The transformation we need is, is only achievable if we are able to take these new approaches to scale. And, and that means that the perceived risk of such investments has to be reduced. And, and, and I feel that philanthropy has an absolutely vital role in doing this. In other words, um, uh, philanthropy alone is not sufficient to fund the solution to the global biodiversity and, and, and climate crises. But philanthropy can be catalytic and help to jumpstart bold initiatives and facilitate uh, private investment further along. But of course, at the end of the day, uh, governments have to set the rules of the game and uh, dedicate more public funding to preserve our natural life support system rather than to destroy it, which unfortunately is what happens today. When you consider the enormity of the challenges the world is facing from the current pandemic to climate change and biodiversity loss, it's increasingly clear that we need to find better ways to come together. What do you believe is the single most important shift in thinking that is needed from the philanthropic community as we look to build a more equitable, prosperous and sustainable future, and not just for some, but for all? Well, Bada, um, to be transformational, uh, philanthropists must recognize the integrated nature of the problem and the solution. By perhaps sometimes being too narrowly focused on, on a specific definition of a topic and uh, unwilling to adjust funding criteria to reflect what is actually needed on the ground, philanthropists can often force recipients to um, mold their activities to fit into some pretty arbitrary models, which can sometimes uh, have less than satisfactory outcomes. I think it would, it would also be helpful uh, if philanthropists worked with each other locally, uh, regionally, and internationally, 
and collaborated uh, across public, private, and philanthropic sectors. Equally, um, there is no need to reinvent the wheel every time. Philanthropists, uh, I know, generously found new charities every year. However, um, a faster and greater impact could often be made if a philanthropist had worked with an established charity in a tailored and, and smart way, and, and of course in partnership. The key motivation that led me to partner with the University of Cambridge on the establishment of the Centre for Strategic Philanthropy is the rapid growth of the world's so-called emerging markets and the massive impending transfer of wealth that's expected to take place across parts of Africa, the Middle East and Asia in the coming years. In your work, sir, across many of these regions of the world over the past half century or so, have you witnessed the impact of this trend and its effects on the philanthropic sector? And what would you say are the biggest opportunities for engagement by the next generation of aspiring philanthropists and social sector practitioners that are watching this from these markets and globally? Well, um, I have been extremely fortunate in having been able to travel to many countries uh, around the world. Uh, and I have so often been inspired by the ingenious, often traditional solutions that have been created to address common human aspirations and challenges. Uh, philanthropists um, in emerging markets have a real opportunity to, to leverage these local solutions to deliver localized impact while sharing and showcasing knowledge, uh, impact and, and examples more globally. So it seems to me that, that we have much to learn from applied local knowledge. For example, my foundation has been working with a number of Commonwealth associations and organisations on the whole vexed issue of uh, rapid urbanisation in many parts of the world, particularly in Africa. The, the imminent danger is, is that such urbanisation will most likely be unplanned and lead to ever more desperate slums, along with a further disastrous destruction of the natural world and, and the resources on which we depend for our survival. My foundation has spent um, over 30 years now in, in developing the knowledge and practical skills in genuinely sustainable and holistic urban planning, design and construction in order to provide a, a, a community-based and integrated approach to dealing with this overwhelming challenge. Um, to be able to, to achieve this and prevent a burgeoning disaster for millions of people, the involvement of enlightened and catalytic philanthropy is absolutely vital. And when we see that the world needs to move from billions to trillions of dollars to achieve the Sustainable Development Goals and the climate targets, one would hope that of whatever age, those with the means to help rescue humanity and the planet will come forward as quickly as possible. Uh, you don't 
don't exactly have the luxury of time anymore. You have previously spoken, sir, about your own personal experience dealing with the dreadful coronavirus. As we continue to take stock of the social and economic effects of the pandemic and its various implications on society at large, what changes do you hope to see as we strive to build back better? And in particular, what do you expect the role of philanthropy to be in this collective effort? Well, the post-COVID world provides the um, opportunity for a reset in how we approach things. Uh, rather than building back better, we must build forward better and not merely support a, a, a continuation of the technologies and mindset <clears throat> that have created the triple and interrelated crises of um, this zoonotic pandemic, uh, climate change, and biodiversity loss. Uh, and in the years to come, we need to recognize that sustainability, in other words, working within the limits of planetary boundaries for nature, people, and planet, is an absolute imperative. Individually and collectively, we, we, we simply have to make sustainability a core value so that together we can build the most durable and prosperous future possible for our children and grandchildren. And, and, and if I may say so, and I, I do hope you will forgive me for mentioning this, but you asked me to take part in this, and so it's your fault, really. In the spirit of collaboration and impact, it would be so marvellous and groundbreaking if philanthropists around the world could possibly connect with my foundation, my Prince's Trust International, and my Sustainable Markets Initiative, so that together we can actually leverage the power of strategic philanthropy to accelerate and build a truly inclusive, equitable, prosperous, and sustainable future for present and future generations. Your Royal Highness, thank you so very much for honoring us by sharing your incredibly important insights and hopes and for everything that you have done and are continuing to do towards building sustainable resilience around the world. And speaking to you from here in the United Arab Emirates as we proudly enter our 50th year of establishment, allow me to take this opportunity to wish you and the royal family a healthy, happy and peaceful year ahead. Thank you once again.